They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are monsters out of the closet. We're here today with Lindsay Holt, the author of Song of Serena, which we had the delight and honor of featuring in our last episode, Creatures. If you haven't listened to that episode already, I really encourage you to. Uh, Song of Serena is a really fantastic piece that takes place in a world filled with beautiful people with political drama and intrigue and magical turmoil. So we're going to be talking a little bit about where this piece came from, the process of writing it, and where that piece is going from here. So thanks so much again, Lindsay. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So I think the first thing um, that I'd love to talk about is a little bit of, um, you know, your your experiences with writing. Your Your piece had a lot of really amazing world building to it and I was curious where where some of the inspiration came from uh whether you know you had any influences coming up with the piece yeah um thank you I I've been uh, I've been reading and writing all my life so there's probably a lot of influences that I'm not even aware of but um the ones for this story um were actually one is very, very old and one is very, very recent. So um, when I started writing this particular excerpt, so Song of Serena is from a larger story that I've had in my mind for a long time. And to try to create something, I knew I wanted some element of horror in especially this part of the story. So creating it for you was not only an honor, but a really good exercise. And... I started rereading, so I've, I've read some classic horror, some Lovecraft, but I also reread one of my old Animorphs books. And I, <laughs> I bring that up because I don't know if uh, many people who listen to this are aware, but there's a lot of fucked up stuff in that show, in that movie, or not movie, in the book series that I don't even know if it made it into the TV series much. I didn't watch that, but those kids deal with a lot and they relive it. And the horror is visceral and real on like psychological and physical senses. So that's where I pulled that from in a more immediate, like for this excerpt, but the, uh, the larger story, um, I've always been interested in myths and legends and especially the way that they're crafted and retold over time to kind of reflect where they're from. I started getting into some, I, I basically found out when I became an adult what actually happened with Medusa and <laughs> the Gorgons. And I also started looking up legends about um, other sort of ocean-related um, people in that Greek and Roman mythology. And I found out about Echidna and like other sea monsters. And there's just this kind of theme of a lot of these extremely powerful women getting pretty screwed over by the powerful men around them. And it got me thinking, how would someone that incredible and that powerful and that angry get her power back? And that's where the main character, Mora, really came from. Um, Originally, it was just her story, and I didn't really have any supporting characters around her. And it kind of flattened out, and she was just kind of full of rage. And then a few years ago, I found this amazing 
theatrical musical group called Sirena. Yes, it's there. <laughs> it's a little obvious. But it, it, I really got extremely inspired by them. So I, I try to mention that to people I talk to about my writing. Sirena is these three women who have created a, a, a show that they bring to Renaissance festivals all over the country where they dress up as sirens and sing and accompany themselves on drums and dance and basically lure the audience into the ocean so they can eat their souls. And it's just the most wonderful thing um, to experience. And I hadn't written in a very long time, and then I, I was so inspired by them, at least on this larger world, that I pulled that into creating these three female characters that are all mentioned in this excerpt. There's Mora and Nadia and Shay. And all of them have different relationships with power, relationships with magic, and with each other. And I really started getting involved in exploring that. Yeah, I love all these beautiful influences and this this theme of these powerful women being kind of wronged by men and trying to reclaim power is a really cool idea that I know that it's one that we want to explore more in our own podcast. So it's great to have this piece to kind of kick that off. Um, and I'm curious, you know, this is the first part maybe of uh, the larger piece, right? Yeah, it's early on. Um, how how do you see these characters evolving and changing? Are, are there specific touchstones you want to explore? I mean, you have a very tense scene at the end of this excerpt, you know, with this potion and the influence it's going to have on Nadia and Shay and the ramifications. You know, everything is in its infancy, so a lot of things will probably change as I start, like, really putting the actual words on paper and not just, like, the ideas. But, um... The dynamic between uh, Mora and Nadia is important to me right now because Mora has this idea that she deserves the power that she's had all her life and that in order to continue to deserve it, she will do whatever it takes uh, to get it back if it's taken from her. And, you know, I know at the end of the piece it kind of leaves it ambiguous, but in the larger story... <laughs> Spoiler, she she does sort of survive. But the thing that I'm not sure about yet is whether or not Shay actually gives it back. So that's what I want to explore later. But in all of that, I want Nadia to be the main point of view because she's got this extreme loyalty to Mora, but not necessarily to Mora's vision. And then she's got this job to do involving Shay, and she's going to have to make some hard choices when those two get back into contact again, and Shay is the one holding on to Mora's magic. I know that doesn't answer a lot of questions, but <laughs> I don't know if I want to answer them yet. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I'm, like, really excited about this piece because you have, you know, Nadia is being kind of torn between, you know, the, the person she cares about and, you know, this girl who, you know, has been irrevocably changed by their decisions. And I think there's a lot of psychological internal conflict there that's really fascinating, right? What do we owe each other, right? Yeah. And, and there's, 
the stuff that goes on with Shay, um, it, it looks right now like it's all caused by, you know, these two older women in her life, but it actually stems from a much larger conflict within the world itself and the way that magic works there. So, you know, I don't want her to be without agency. I want her to be young and, you know, easily influenced, but there's something about those kinds of adventure stories where you've got this kid who's always the victim. And as a, as a kid, I, I didn't always feel like a victim. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's, it's not something I want to fall into because I think it flattens them out. And kids are extremely perceptive and can make these decisions that may not be the best ones, but they can take action. And so I've, I've got a lot of ideas for that. All these forces are kind of acting on her, including Mora. But so I, I gave, I, I want to give this a little bit of a, of a background, um, piece into the world building, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the story, I only mention the sort of stingray related race of aquines. I call them aquines. They're mer people, but I call them aquines. Um, and the shark related race. And in the larger story, there's a third and those are smaller they're more related to eels and the way these races have sort of been divided over time in in their sort of world um they develop different sensibilities to magic so the stingray races are very potent and they can use magic whereas the shark ones usually can only perceive with it the eel race actually doesn't have any typical magical ability at all typically. So Shay is one of those. <laughs> oh, okay. And that that also adds a whole new power dynamic, you know, when you don't typically have magic and you're given mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah, and there's something about her that makes it possible. Uh that's that's one of the mysteries within the overall novel that I want to be able to explore cuz most, you know, would not even be capable of that, of even like being part of any sort of magical ceremony because they've tried. And it goes into their politics and the way that their society is structured and the way they interact with each other when they do. There's a, there's a lot, uh, honestly, <laughs> that might be too much. <laughs> no, this is like very exciting. Um, when this piece was first submitted to us, there was, you know, it was in one form and you talked about how this is already, this is still in its infancy. Can you kind of talk a little bit about the process of editing this piece with our um, other producer, Shreya? Yeah, that um, that was extremely helpful, and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity because, you know, putting a piece in front of anyone is helpful, but also in front of, you know, a good editor with a similar vision. So I was starting this piece, and as you both pointed out, it started out as very high fantasy, and that's true because that's what I often read. And I really enjoyed not only pulling down on that influence and like making the characters names easier to read, making everything a little more relatable so you can pull the the audience in, you know, and make make it part of their world as well instead of like forcing them into yours. But there was also uh, the dynamic between Mara and Nadia when I first submitted this piece, which I was never comfortable with and I was extremely like distant from, but I didn't understand why originally they were sisters. <laughs> that um that also comes from <laughs> a lifetime of uh of a very specific kind of influence in my life where um I wasn't exposed to a whole lot of 
you know, queer or LGBTQ plus literature or even concepts. I was raised in a very conservative environment and this piece, editing it and really discovering these characters and getting to know them for real, like, of course they're gay for each other. Of course they are. It was obvious <laughs> from like the beginning, but I just wasn't taking that step and pushing myself into that mode. It felt like the right time to really own my own bisexuality in the world. So people that I'm close to and I, you know, I'm 28. I'm, you know, financially independent and everything. So this isn't as, you know, there's not as much to lose by making this shift for me, but it was such a big deal anyway. And I'm just so glad that it happened this way. So I, the people that I'm closest to know, but there's a lot of people that don't, especially in like social media and internet presence. And I want to change that because now I have this you know, piece that you all were able to make into art, as I said in my Twitter post. And um, I can just kind of be like, hey, look at this thing I wrote. It's queer because I'm queer. Enjoy. Okay, bye. And I can run away. And that's <laughs> like exactly what I want to do. <laughs> and it, it's it's changed the way that I can approach a lot of my writing. I'm I'm really enjoying owning this part of me that I didn't even realize I was not owning. So that was a huge deal, actually, in this whole process. <laughs> just Mora and Nadia being gay with each other. <laughs> it just kind of gives yourself permission to, like, put it into words, to own those words, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I didn't want to be, I, I didn't want to have this, because I, I would want to share this with people, and I, I didn't want to have it so that the people that I shared it with would look at me and think, oh, this cis straight white woman is writing about something that she doesn't understand, when that's not true. I, you know, I may not be, I may be able to quote unquote pass, but I'm not, this is, this is part of, this is an extension of who I am. Maura and Nadia and even Shay, like, that's how, that's the characters that I write. And I would hate for me to like, put them out there and then like, orphan them and like say, oh, they're just, you know, figments of my imagination like no this is this is part of my heart this is they belong here and this is part of an experience that I can relate to because of who I am and I, I think that's really important at least for me as a writer um in, in this day and age when you can like take in media and read things and then go on Twitter and get to know the authors of them and like see who they really are like I want to be honest about where my characters come from it, it was important to me uh, that's amazing and it sounds like that was definitely probably one of the best parts of the editorial process. Um, were there any challenging parts of the editorial process? So I had a lot of rewrites to get that horror element in. And it helps because my partner is extremely addicted to horror. Like, they're the ones that, like, introduced me to Lovecraft years ago. And so I had a little bit of, like, side editing alpha reading going on as I was working on this and it's like oh there's suspension that needs to happen here i this detail is distracting like that sort of because when it comes to horror and really suspense of all those kinds it it takes out a whole lot of things that i thought i had to explain and leaves you with more questions and that's something that's kind of a new type of writing i'm i'm much more familiar with putting a ton of thoughts into detail in you know concise sentences but with a whole lot of information, which is where all that world building that you mentioned come from. 
Um, that's that's typically my style. But leaving things where you kind of feel an element of what this person is afraid of without knowing exactly what it looks like or what it is or where it comes from or have its whole backstory, that's that's what I had to really practice at. And that's where Lovecraft, even though, you know, we all know how problematic that author was, there's a style to that that became so useful because when you're describing a color that is indescribable, that's the element that is horrifying is the fact that there's no words for it. That's something that I've really tried to practice because I think it's very useful and emotional. I love that phrase, you know, it's horrific because there are no words for it. There are no words to describe it. That's really fantastic. Um, you mentioned that horror is kind of new to you. Are there any other horror media that you really enjoy and like find yourself thinking more deeply about? In in writing this, I really did go back to the mythology a lot. It wasn't a specific author or anything. It's just this this idea of something greater than you, something that you can't explain. It fascinated me, and so I started digging into like more of these myths, and I found myself frustrated by how little, you know, they all lined up, and that's because they were all trying to describe something that wasn't capable of being described. It was too powerful, and it was too much. Um, but honestly, there's a lot of horror influences within other genres that I pulled from. So, like, I was a huge fan of Ray Bradbury when I was a kid, and, you know, I always associate him with sci-fi, but, you know, going back and looking at his Martian Chronicles and the the things that his characters go through in Illustrated Man, they're beautifully horrific. There's just, they're visually stunning. You can feel like, you can see all the colors. And you also know that terrible things are happening because everyone around you is calm. And that struck me. I wasn't able to really use that in this piece, but it it's another style that I really want to explore and that's kind of it kind of came in with Shay at the very end you know she's happy because she's done something that made her feel good and she knows that this follows some sort of rule but from Nadia's perspective everything about this is probably like existentially horrifying like they're breaking rules of magic they're breaking rules of society and she doesn't even know if her lover is going to survive all this and she's looking at this monster of a child that is smiling at her and possibly holding all of that hope in that in that little creature and like that calm juxtaposes so dramatically against you know all of the awful things that could be happening and probably are i i think a lot of that probably can be traced back to a lot of sci-fi authors because, you know, over and over, you had this kind of like stoic sci-fi style in those days um, where a lot of the characters were pretty competent and then horrible things would happen and the tone is still steady even as awful things are happening. And Orson Scott Card has some instances of that. And I really, I, I think that probably played into Shay a lot with the whole experimenting and sort of pretending like it's all perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, I definitely felt like comparisons with like the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde 
clearly not all is well here, but you know, <laughs> keep calm, carry on kind of thing. Yeah. I definitely really, really got that sense. Like th this piece has so many genre influences and you kind of touched on like, there's definitely that sci-fi element of this kind of experimentation, like the questions of science and magic, right? The boundaries that we cross when we, when we experiment with those areas. So I was very, very excited to see those elements there. You're obviously continuing to work on this larger piece. Are there other pieces that you're excited about starting or that you're working on right now? I Okay, so I have a lot of uh, characters in my head <laughs> most of the time, um, which I think a lot of writers can relate to. It's these characters that have just kind of stayed there all these years, and, and they kind of change with you. So I'm hoping to expand into uh, into different stories that I feel like deserve my attention because of how much I've been brainstorming about them for years, but I'm not sure what the next thing would be. Um, I really enjoy writing short stories as well, just one-off, especially like sci-fi ideas. I, I think the first one that I ever got into a, um, an internet magazine, uh, <laughs> which I don't even know is still around, was years ago, and it was about a man who is in charge of creating a mechanical insect that functions as population control of the human race. And what happens when that insect follows him home? Um, <laughs> and that was super fun to write. And um, I, I've been told to expand that world. I don't think I will. I don't know. There are some stories that I think don't need expanding. They were more like ideas that I'm playing with. But this one, I just can't stop coming up with more things about... <laughs> I just, I've got like a geography now, which I didn't have before, <laughs> before you guys posted it and talked about it. Um, so I'm, I'm really inspired by that. So I think this is going to be my main big project for a while, but little one-offs here and there would probably happen, especially in the sci-fi route. Fantastic. If any of our listeners want to kind of keep up with your work or follow you for updates, what would be the best way for them to do that? So right now I'm working on my website. It's a WordPress from a long time ago. I might switch to Squarespace at this point, but I, I want to make that public like within a week. Like I've been working at it for a while. So once that is, I'll have um, the excerpt up that you all read, as well as some background into the world and the characters. And so that'll be my main hub for my writing for now. Uh, but for updates, um, if they follow my Twitter account, I'm on Twitter like a lot now. And that's probably the best way uh, to get in touch with me or to uh, be aware of where my writing is going <laughs> to come from next. Awesome. So uh, the Twitter, if you want to share your Twitter handle. It's LHoltRVA because my hometown is in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> awesome. Um, so we've got your Twitter, and then once you have a website, we'll be sharing that for sure as well. So, Thank you. Um, yeah, that'll all be linked in uh, this episode description on our website. Yeah, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners uh, before we kind of sign off? Just thank you, and thanks again for the opportunity to uh, to be a part of this podcast and this crazy podcast community. I love it. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your piece and 
we're definitely excited to see where this piece goes and we'd love more pieces from you in the future because this has been an amazing process. <laughs> Thank you. It's um, very exciting. Listeners, you've just listened to a special bonus interview of Monsters Out of the Closet with author Lindsay Holt. You can find Lindsay's social media handles linked in the episode description. In the meantime, you too can be part of the Monster Mob. Consider submitting for our upcoming episodes. You can find out more specific information about submissions on our website under the Submit tab. In honor of Pride Month, we'd also like to encourage you to consider donating to our Patreon. Our goal is to get 20 patrons in total, so any dollar amount goes a long way. So thank you for considering. Lastly, don't forget to tune in next week for our next full-length episode, Liberate coming out next Tuesday, June 26th. We hope to see you soon. Monsters out.